Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to part two of the two-part series with Charles Hugh Smith. Um, there's a couple things that uh, I didn't actually mention with Charles, and I kind of feel bad, but he probably doesn't care because he's such a nice guy. So Charles has actually released another mini book, and I actually bought it uh, Monday. I'm already halfway through it, but it is called Inequality and the Collapse of Privilege by Charles Hugh Smith, so there'll be a link in the show notes. Also, there's still the free audiobooks of uh, Get a Job, Build a Real Career, Defy a Bewildering Economy, and then the Charles's other most recent book, um, which you will also see in the show notes. So his two audiobooks are in there. Um, so with that being said, guys, this episode, uh, we kind of <laughs> we kind of get a little bit more drunk. Well, I did. And uh, Charles actually kept his composure, but I don't sound too sloppy, but just giving you guys a warning. So I, I might ramble on a little bit, but you know, I, I've had these episodes before and you guys like them. So uh, if you dislike them, just send me like a hate message or something in the discuss forum. Just teasing. Um, so anyways, guys, uh, before we get the show started, I want to give a shout out to my affiliates. So go to naturesimagefarm.com. And they are actually now sold out of craft pork. So they've already, the opening was there and it's gone. I got a full pig this year. So I actually upped my, um, what I was getting. And the biggest reason is just because it's, I'm almost already done. And that's just from like cooking meals for friends. But mainly, man, I just don't, I don't like to eat out that much. I just like to drink too much beer. And second, um, they still have nursery stocks. So you can actually save 10% on any purchase and get free shipping with code word sample. It's a pretty good deal. Uh, second affiliate, newfarmsupply.com. If you go there, Grant still has some stuff on that site. So um, I think it's going to be a hiatus. I, had a, I talked to them earlier in the season. So um, I don't think he's going to have Scion this year. So, but they, he still has some other stuff. If you use code word sample, you save 20% off. Um, the third affiliate is Podcast Blastoffs. So if you want to start a podcast, um, you can click on the link. It's on the, the right of the screen, and actually, I'll put a link in the show notes as well. So podcastblastoff.com. Um, if you click on that link and you want to start your own podcast, I'm you know good friends with those guys. I actually talk about it in this episode. I recommend it. I mean, if you're not a celebrity or you're not a comedian or anything like that, and you just want to have a podcast, uh, it's great. It takes care of your website. It's really easy to use. It's all HTML. It's very secure. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of, of the product, obviously, since I use it. And, and updates keep coming. I mean, it, you know, it's a new company. So if you, if you would like to see a change made, um, all you have to do is talk to the owners. So they're the ones that sign you up, and they're, they're very receptive. It's a big shout-out to Nathan Frazier and Podcast Blastoff. Finally, if you want to become a profitable farmer and you want to learn small-scale farming, I think uh, Curtis Stone's Profitable Urban Farming course is the best. It gives you all the tools. Um, you get to see everything that Curtis Stone does to be successful. Um, and there's definitely a lot of stuff in there that you're not going to get from his YouTube channel now. I do recommend his YouTube channel as well. I've learned a lot from that as well. So if you click on the links in the show notes, the first link will actually save you $100. Um, and then the second link, 
Uh, and that's if you buy it all up front. And the second link is actually the payment plan. So that being said, guys, I hope you enjoy part two. And then next Tuesday, I'm going to bring you guys Mark Isig from Lesser Beasts, who wrote the book Lesser Beasts. So enjoy the show, guys. to part two we were having so much fun talking we took a break we got refills on drinks so we're having a part two so this uh this episode might get get a little bit sloppy but i'm okay with it are you okay with it charles absolutely now that i have another bottle of wine open let's you gotta drink it right if it's open it's inf- no yeah. we're not uh we're not gonna get that bad maybe we don't know so uh we were talking about in between breaks um kind of gonna elaborate on uh um, my local community here because I want to shout them out, man. Because it's it's so rewarding for me, Charles. Because, like, I mean, so first off, I mean, like, from the blog, I think having you on and I've and I've alluded to it before is really cha- it changed the way I was doing the podcast. Like, I never thought I'd get a website. Then you said, "Hey, man, you know, if you get a website, I can post your episodes and try to get my my readers to go to your website, and that would probably really help you." And I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So then I tried to make my own website, and it looked like shit. And then I just paid somebody to do it. And then uh, and then it's turned out great. Like, now, like, I'm a affiliate for Podcast Blast Off, which, you know, one of my good friends owns the company now. And so, like, they, I talk to them about what I want to see. And, and so, like, you know, I think for, for a lot of people in entertainment, it might not be the best option because – yeah, there's still a lot. I mean, it's still early on, but for me, it's like, no, man, like I want to help a small company. I know the people I, I have vested interest in this because like, you know, it's, I, I've, I've been on on the ground level and it's so for me personally, like I always like to give my business to people I know. Um, but then from there, you know, when I first got into permaculture, the biggest thing that I wanted to find was who's doing this stuff in Ohio. So I watched this documentary called Inhabit, and I saw there's a guy in Wisconsin. There's all this stuff on people from the East Coast, one person from the West Coast. It was like it was really exciting to me. But I'm like, well, what's you know what's going on here in Ohio? And so then I kept looking and looking, and and then I kept you know just just friending all these people on Facebook. Then I found uh, I found my good friend Rob Kaiser, and Rob Kaiser was on like. He was on a couple podcasts. Uh, he was on, like, I heard him on uh, the Permaculture Voices podcast, and he was he was in the urban farming course that I'm in, and he was just talking about his first year, and he, you know, he was kind of struggling. But one thing that I watched happen online was Rob was like this uh, this figure of community, and it was like something that for me, community has always been important, and it was something that I think I actually got from. The feeling of community, I, you know, I, I used to live in a small town and when I was, was, when I was a kid, I was in this small railroad town. I mean, it was like a, it was like a town. Everyone was poor. I mean, we we're all poor kids. It was a railroad town. It was out just out Southeast of Toledo, um, you know, Southeast side of Toledo pretty much. And it's, you know, it's, 
it, it's uh you know everyone had reduced lunches and everything like that but there was like a sense of community like i always played outside i always you know the school was right across the street from me and everything like that and then when i got older community became important to me via like uh church and uh youth groups and stuff like that and then in college i always understood the importance of community with like when i was an ra and like you know as a resident advisor and so i'd always talk to my residents i try to get my residents to be friends or you know my first year of college was great because we had such a tight-knit group on my floor because i was always like this galvanizing figure of community like i'm a community builder like it's a strength of mine like i'm a connector and so when i wanted to meet up with uh with rob i, I saw the same thing like rob he got this uh this uh invest he got this uh like basically through rcs you can get um like basically they you get a, a huge portion of money to build like a hoop house and stuff like that so we built this huge high tunnel and uh the coolest thing that I saw on it was on Facebook. I, I never met the guy, and we we interacted briefly through via Facebook. But I saw it was a guy that was worried about what people were eating, organized free labor through a community to help him build this high tunnel and and essentially kind of save money and and get money from get more money to get this high tunnel built. And and it was really cool. Like to me, it's like you know this guy represents a lot of community, and I didn't know much about it, but it was kind of like my way into the local kind of permaculture scene in uh in ohio and then um so then from there like i i drove up there and actually some people started just just from posting photos of me friending like my friend greg burns had started listening to the podcast and greg was listening to all the episodes but i didn't really know that greg burns was like the same type of guy so but he was always super cool and i always wanted to meet up with him and i was still doing the comedy show stuff and then um when i when i actually met rob and talk to him rob would tell me like yeah greg's greg's like my brother um you know we like it's his kids get confused sometimes and like he had babies and they they look really they look like their brothers like it's really funny but <laughs> then there was like this uh this kind of this survival podcast meetup and uh and there was all like it was this workshop thing and i was like man i didn't even know like this is just north of me like i didn't know and Rob said, don't worry, Drew, I'm sure there'll be more meetups. So then kind of fast forward, what kind of happened was is um, there was a I, I was doing the podcast. I went to Permaculture Voices when I went to California and I stayed with Rob. And then when I got back, it was like through Rob, I learned all these other people that I needed to meet in Ohio. So then I just kind of sought him out. So G Greg actually sought me out and Greg came over to promote an event that he was going to do that ended up getting rained out. Um, and it was just about, it was like kind of like a hog butchering workshop in Indiana. And he had had, uh, I was going to go to his property because um, he basically like the big thing for us with this local community that we have, we just call ourselves the lumber squatches is, is that, um, and it's just kind of a joke because it's all to us, it's all a joke. Like we're all buddies and it's like, we're all, it's all about community and like nobody's better than anybody else. We all, if somebody knows something, we volunteer to teach other people about it and a lot of it is, um, you know, like my friend Greg always says, is there's nothing to it but to do it. And, and you know, so so Greg had this, uh, when he first raised hogs, he had like a hog butchering thing at his spot. And it was the same time as one of my comedy shows. So I couldn't, I couldn't really do it. So then um, after Greg came over and we, we had this big thing, like the, I felt, everybody all these local people started listening to my show because he was sharing it and rob was sharing it and i had these people on it 
like Joe Green was one of them and other people too. They started listening and I was like, you know, I really want to talk to the people that are, are doing this stuff that I talk about or doing this stuff that I like. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't want to be on podcasts. Like they're like, I don't want to talk about myself. And it's like, it's very humble. And, uh, it's so, you know, I, I did like a video thing for my friend Steve to kind of show his permaculture park. Like he was working with the city to do like a, a permaculture park. And, um, so it's just, it's just been really cool. So like fast forward, we did Hogtoberfest and I brought like, I had like these free, I had these, this free, uh, I had these points I had to burn and I knew I was going to get laid off. And this was like a month before I got laid off. But I was like, you know, it would be cool for this community that supported me. Let me bring out a couple guys who they know about, who they like to meet. So I brought up my friend, Michael Jordan, who's like the bee whisperer and makes meads and all this cool stuff. And he's been on uh, a lot of these people like had been, they were also like big fans of Jack Spearco's show, the survival podcast. And it was kind of like they, they were embracing me there. So there was this, this community that was kind of already existed, but it, it, it wasn't, people didn't know like how to start doing it. And so at Hogtoberfest was this thing, but it was like, you know, it's a, it's a private party. Like this isn't something that anybody's invited to. Like it's at my buddy's house, you know, his kids live there and everything. So it's a private party. Like this isn't just for invites. So when we do, so then from there, it turned into us just doing like different events. Like we'd go to people's houses and we'd, we'd help them. Like, uh, I just, two weekends ago, we were at Greg's helping him build a barn or we were down at, uh, we went down to my friend Justin's and we helped him inoculate all these mushroom logs, which by himself would take forever. And, or, uh, we went there and we butchered two different pigs. Like, and that was cool too. Like we had, it was a couple days and that we're going to have Lulu fest here soon. where We're going to help somebody else butcher a pig or people are coming over this weekend. Um, we're going to, I'm going to, sh- we have the BCS tractor so people can see how that works. And then we're going to tap a tree and mainly we're going to drink beer and, and commute like, be together and so it was kind of like you know rob was doing his thing in northern ohio where he do like thirsty thursdays and he had like a local permaculture group and so like down here it was it's kind of like you know we need to we need to come together and do this stuff too so it's been rewarding like i know that was kind of all over the place but it's it's been rewarding because all these people are doing their own thing but now it's like you know as a community we're so much stronger so as a community, you know, you don't have to worry about labor. And it's, and it's, it, for us, it's all about like doing farming, small scale farming in the way it was done in the old ways. Like my grandpa would tell me in Kentucky, if, you know, cause everyone grew tobacco, but when it was harvest time, everybody would help each other harvest. Like it wasn't a competition. Like we're here together. We're a community. Or if, if you're going to butcher a pig, it's a community thing. And it's always been a community thing. Um, and so that's, that's where... And I think it's it's so strong, and now like we're starting to get kind of recognized nationally, and and I'd like to think it's because of you know my reach on the show and how much I talk about it, but also too like, you know these guys are all cool people, like they have influence, um, they have their own influence because they're all doing cool shit and they're posting on Facebook and they're and we're all positive and we're all like we're all about you know pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and you know there's like my friend Greg always says there's nothing to it but to do it like if you want to do something. And figure it out, then you got you got to do it, man. You can't just talk about it. You got to be about it. So that's uh, I think that's helped the show out quite a bit. I think you know it. It's I'm blown away 
when you know people that are in our community tell me they listen to the show and they agree with me and it's like or they like me and they're all i mean in my eyes they're all successful in their in their own right i mean like i have a lot of respect for these guys and it means a lot to me that these smart people are listening to the show or or smart people that i've met from listening to us talk that were traditional readers just read your blog and then they heard us talk and then they dive into my podcast and say man i really like your show so I feel I feel really blessed, man. I, I feel I feel really humbled and blessed that people actually want to hear what I have to say. Um, and it's 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 kind of weird because I feel like I just ramble and talk, but people are like, "No, I like hearing what you have to say." And it's 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 strange. Like I I don't my podcast has never really been about me. It's been about my guest, and so I try not to talk. Like when you and I talk, you encourage me to talk. So it's it's a different thing. And now I've like I think that's also helped too because because of our episodes. Like I'll I'll share my opinion a lot more with my guests, and it, it makes it more into a conversation, which makes it more interesting. Right, and um, as always, when I'm I'm listening to you, I have multiple levels of of responses. So, um, I'll, I'll just start with a personal thing too. That um, I I'm always amazed that you know I've got you know hundreds of thousands of readers. And it's kind of like, well, it's just like a guy that, you know, was spouting off or whatever, i.e. me. But I think what people crave now, it, because of BS and so much PR and so much marketing, that's, you know, corporate marketing or, or a government narrative they want us to believe, that somebody that's doing something real, has real experience and is authentic – that's the gold standard now. And so you are a real guy, you're authentic and you're doing real stuff and you're excited about people doing real stuff, then you're the gold standard. And so people um, are attracted to that because it's such a, there's such a scarcity of that. And it, when I look at myself, I think, well, you know, I actually, most of my readers are smarter than I am. I mean, honestly, I mean, they're, they have, they're, they're so insightful and basically I learned from them, which is why this site's called of two minds. It's like, it's like the, the mind of the, of my readers who contribute to my knowledge and understanding. And then, uh, you know, my job is kind of just to aggregate that or to put it into terms that are, uh, you know, fairly easy to absorb, you know, I mean, that's basically my job. Right. And, and that's what your job is, is to, uh, kind of aggregate all these um, all these knowledge bases, and and I, I want to comment. Uh, I want to bring up um, the uh, the reader that you interviewed, who is um, who's an attorney. He's a smart guy, and he's um, setting up. I mean, he's establishing. He's working hard on creating a community in in Japan because his wife is Japanese, yeah. but he's actually an American attorney, and so it goes to show how um a term that my my friend um and 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 he's kind of shy about taking credit so i'll i'll only use his initials as he prefers gfb one of my high school buddies that we went to college together and everything one of my oldest friends his concept is tacit tribes and what he's what that means is that because of the internet we can create these tribes of mutual interest um without a lot of cost or, or effort that were, uh, were not, uh, were not possible before the internet. So we can include like your podcast can include both the local, you know, 
Ohio community of, of smart, um, dedicated, knowledgeable people who are willing to share their knowledge and experience with a global community, including including like attorneys who have like solar projects in, in a village in Japan that yeah, we can, I need to, from. I need to get, I need to reach out to Marvin again. I know we, we talked about us both getting him on and, uh, cause he just went out there full time and he said when he was more established, he hit me up. So I might send him a reminder, but yep. <laughs> and the funny thing is too, the local guy that hit me up, Damon was also an attorney and he read your blog too. And, uh, so, I mean, it's like, when attorneys and doctors and, and professional people are, are, are saying what you say really resonates with me. And it's like, you know, because we're, we're all working class. Like none of us are elites. Like we all either went to school or we learned to trade or, or, you know, and, and that's, I mean, that's the cool thing with the lumber squatches. Like one guy's, you know, Greg self-employed. I'm, I'm on my way to being that. Another guy's an IT guy. Another guy's a mechanic. Another guy is a, is a cabinet salesman. And, and you know what I mean? Another guy's a, a stay-at-home dad and his wife's a nurse. And, you know, I, we're, we all come from different fields, but we all want to spend time together. And, and, and we talk about that, how it feels good to have found our tribe. And, and so I, I 100% agree with what uh, your friend says. Yeah, and, and that, that, that idea of tacit tribes... What um, what that means is that we can all be members of like multiple tribes, you know, like um, uh, and I'll, I'll use sports as an analogy, you know, like if I'm at a at a party of my wife's family or somebody like that at some situation like that, I'll say, well, you know, I'll kind of put out there anybody interested in, you know, the the warriors, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, the uh Golden basketball State. team, yeah. right. Golden state. Um, and, uh, Steph Curry and, you know, and I, and, and, and he's a guy that, you know, I don't follow sports super closely, but I think he's an authentic person, which is why he's, he's, um, considered as well as being a superstar. I think he is an authentic person. He's, he's not like a BS person. So a lot of people have a lot of respect for him. And, you know, the city of Oakland really turned out when, when the, when the warriors are in town and, you know, it's like a, it's like a feel good thing. And so that attracts people from all over the world. So, you, you know, you can have these tacit tribes that like, um, people in Thailand or for instance, are super interested in, and in, in like some, um, soccer team in, in like the UK, you know, in, in, in Britain. And, um, <laughs> and so, you know, uh, you get uh, Manchester United, right? I mean, you'll see all these like bumper stickers for Manchester United in, in like Bangkok, you know, and, um, and, and everywhere else in the world. And so, and, and that's pretty awesome, but that's just using one, uh, that's like one aspect, which is sports, which brings people together. But there's a lot of other interests and, and economic interests and uh, that, that bring people together, which is what your, you know, your lumber squatch is about. It's, it's, it's not specifically or uniquely economic, but there's an economic aspect. Like we're going to learn valuable knowledge, trades, skills, connections here that may pay off in the future. And, and I want to mention that, you know, this is the core of my um, book, a radically beneficial future, 
which proposes this CLIME system, and CLIME is C-L-I-M-E, the Community Labor Integrated Money Economy. And I think this is where the future lies, that uh, as, as we mentioned in part one, um, you know, the sort of globalization, commoditized corporate America model or corporate China, whatever, that model is is like losing um, – Losing ground, it's dying, you know, and it's like it's a... yeah, like they're even closing like targets in Canada and 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 Starbucks in America and McDonald's in America, like yeah, it, it, there's diminishing returns on that commoditization of of labor and uh, supply chains, and so um, one of the things we talked about in part one, which I'm excited about which is nascent, meaning it's at the early stages. I mean, we're at the early stages of the fourth industrial revolution. And um, so when we talk about it, it sounds like, oh, what are you guys, what are you guys talking about? I don't see that, you know, in my hometown. I see, you know, Walmart and, and McDonald's and all that stuff. And it's all like, yeah, I know, because we're talking about something that's at the 1% to 4% stage of the economy. But it, but when it moves to the 20% stage, then it will then um, leverage itself to the 80% stage. And this is the Pareto principle where the, um, the, uh, the, the 80, first, 20, yeah, yeah 80, 20, which if you reduce it to the 464, you know, in other words, like the 20% of the 20% is 4%. And uh, uh, and the eighty percent of eighty percent is sixty four percent. So once four percent of the populace is onto it, then they influence the sixty four percent. And so this is what how the internet worked, right? I mean, it only took the first four percent of people to log on, and um, for Lee, uh, for Tim uh, Berners Lee to develop the browser, and then the four percent that was fooling around with. Um, basically message boards and this kind of, you know, awkward, you know, initial web stage stuff that quickly ballooned to influence the 64% once the browser was available. So that's the way it is with the community economy too, you know, is that as the, um, as the commoditized global economy enters diminishing returns and, and, and I've often mentioned this um, concept in the, on the blog of the S curve. In other words, something like a rocket, it reaches a quick, um, quick ignition and, and high velocity. And then it rises up to the top of what, what looks like the letter S and then it burns out and then it starts declining. And so that's globalization, that's open immigration, that's neoliberalism, that's central bank debt, you know, bubbles, all that stuff is reaching the end of its life. And so, the next phase of of positive development is going to be like the community economy that we're talking about. Now, what do we say to people that want to call us communists for saying a community economy? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's what I would say to them is the community economy, as as my idea of community labor integrated money economy is, is it's all about a marketplace where people have the opportunity. There's no, nothing guaranteed. If you want to fail, that's the opportunity is to fail. Um, the opportunity is to find, you know, your passion or your interest in life and then specialize in that, create value, 
and share it in, in a marketplace. And that's what we were talking about in part one. And, and, and the marketplace is, of course, the core of capitalism. And, you know, I often recommend all these like kind of like heavy books, you know, to, to uh, my blog readers. And not, they're not for everybody, but, you know, like I, I found tremendous value in this uh, French uh, historian's, you know, uh, three-part, three volume, like, you know, thousand plus page book on the beginnings of capitalism. His name is Ferdinand Braudel, and he died, I think, in the late 80s. And it's called Civilization and Capitalism from uh, the 15th century to the 18th century. And he basically goes through the development of modern capitalism. And um, it's fascinating, at least to people like you know, with interests like me in, in markets and capitalism and opportunity, because he, he basically traces out how the European uh, economy uh, borrowed some stuff from the um, Arab uh, culture, including like capital and double entry accounting, uh, because they, they had developed the idea of credit, where you basically hand somebody a letter, a letter of credit is what it was called, where you say, I owe you like uh, an ounce of gold for the stuff, you, you know, that I bought from you. And, um, and so what would happen is this, 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 um, this encouraged the development of these gigantic trading fairs in the early capitalist era of the 15th century in, in Europe, where you didn't have gold yourself, right? But you had stuff to sell. So you'd go to these gigantic trading fairs, often in France or uh, parts of Germany or Italy, and you'd sell your stuff for these pieces of paper, i.e. credit. And then at the end of the fair, you'd settle all that with other people who actually had silver and gold. And so you'd end up at the end of the, of the fair with like whatever your net was, right? You didn't have to have the gold or silver to make each transaction. You you conducted at the fair, but you'd end up with your, your net profit. And so, of course, those of us who are in business understand that concept that like uh, you can do a hundred dollars of, of, of transactions with like five bucks. You know, if, if it, if, if you have five bucks, then you can, everybody can trade that five bucks and, and, and uh, make all these uh, trades of, of goods and services. And then the, the net is actually a lot smaller than the sum total of the transactions. And so we, if you understand how capitalism developed, modern capitalism, then you understand the value of credit, but you also understand the, the greater value of marketplaces. Because if you have a transparent marketplace where buyers and sellers um, can establish a price or a value for, for goods and services, then everybody benefits. That's the whole idea. And so, you know, going back to what we discussed in part one, you know, what you're what you're doing when you connect a farmer with a restaurant who, you know, has a places a high value on on fresh local produce that's worth more than like half um, half rotted stuff from two thousand miles away. <laughs> You're performing a valuable service and you're and you're creating a market that benefits both the buyer and the seller. And that's the core of capitalism as Adam Smith understood it. 
which is specialization creates high value that then benefits all participants. That's great, Charles. I'm glad you uh, you explained all that stuff. And I'll definitely check out those books. Hopefully, they're on Audible. If not, I'm going to have to uh, get the uh, – I like to sit and read. Like I just read a Wendell Berry book, but it's like I'm always on the go, so I like to listen. So I'll have to find the uh, PDFs if they're there. But, uh, yeah, that was interesting, man. And I think um, something else that I, I kind of thought about, which is kind of off topic, but the uh, – I don't think credit is bad, but I know a lot of I, – I, one of the – one of the Christian values I think is to not have any debt. And, uh, so like, I know like, like it's, it's kind of weird. Like, uh, I, I was with my uh, bookkeeper and, um, and like, cause a lot of times whenever you sell to restaurants, it takes a while to get your, get paid. But my friend owns a restaurant. I know he's like, you know, very Christian. Um, and in the, in the, in the good way, like he lives the life. And he always pays me immediately. He hates having debt. He's like, "Did you? Why didn't you?" Hey, Drew. He'll like text me. Why didn't you get paid from the bar? I was like, "Well, they look busy." He's like, "Drew, you know I hate having debt." And uh, and my bookkeeper said, "Well, that's actually like, you know, he he was like homeschooled in like a Christian home, and it's like something that's like a really big thing. Um, it's a really big value for a lot of Christians, and uh, so." I, I don't know what the whole point of me bringing this up was. I wanted to ask you something about, uh, like, I don't think credit's a bad thing. It's just gotten out of control. Like, it's just gotten out of hand. It's it's become abused. It's become, it just needs to be something that's 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 done moderately. But now we're like, on a, like our whole debt system is just so out of hand. And it's it's crazy. Like, what do you think? I mean, like, we have no choice now but to raise interest rates. What do you see um, yeah, as potential? Like, Obviously, I think there's going to be more home foreclosures. I think that echo bubble in real estate is going to burst. Uh, you know, I was just in Orlando, and Orlando is crazy right now. So because Florida is such a, a snowbird area that it's like all these people are – like there's so much economy going on to serve the baby boomers. So now like – where my buddy lives, the price of real estate's just gone through the roof. Um, and, like, people are buying these $300,000 homes, but their spacing of their homes are, like, 50s homes, but there's they're these little McMansions. And I'm just like, man, you don't have land. What You just have this big-ass house that you, you don't need. Like, what do you really have? And then I'm like, why do people think that these these older baby boomers aren't going to die? Like, what's, what's going to happen here? Like, you know, this bubble's going to burst. What do you... I guess what do you kind of see happening with with these markets? I mean, we have the this financial aid bubble that's going to burst anytime. We have this echo bubble of real estate that's going to burst anytime. We have this healthcare bubble that is bound to burst. I mean, I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff. But what what do you see through that with opportunity? I guess I, th- I think that's I don't know how I went from Christians paying debt to this, but that's that's where I got here. <laughs> well, you know, I think. Um I think you've made some excellent points here. And I think uh, I want to let's talk on two levels. One is that, you know, we talked about very briefly our, our working class roots. And, um, you know, I, I yeah. basically paid my way through college working in construction and the construction industry 
uh, is and was always a, a working class stronghold because the wages are basically double uh, minimum wage and and you can learn skills and actually leverage you know that to even higher wages if you are self-employed and become a plumber or electrician or a contractor and so you know one of the things that that always struck me about the construction industry is is how many times people would say well what religion are you like in other words that was their opening question because it was assumed that you were family oriented and and faith oriented and um, so that was a way of placing where you were and so there would be guys who were roman catholics or uh, seventh day adventists and um, all the different variations of the protestant uh, Christian faith and and um, people wanted to identify you through your faith and and so um, and this is of course uh, denigrated by the elitist establishment where like for instance President Obama mentioned like the uh, famously mentioned like the people who believed in guns and Jesus right uh-huh. and uh, and actually guns and Jesus is a pretty formidable. Uh, belief structure because you know the right to own guns and I don't own any guns. I don't but either. I, support, I I I mean I don't really need a gun, and I don't. And my Christian faith, you know, is that I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm sorry. I'm I'm just not going to kill somebody. I'm I, I don't. You know, I'm just not going to do it. And it's just that's against my faith, right? And so uh, I'm not going to own deadly weapons and I'll defend myself as best I can with my hands, you know, uh, or a two by four or something like that. <laughs> I'm not into killing people. Okay. That's not my thing. And it's against my faith. And so, um, but you know, the, the idea of the right to own guns is ultimately, um, a, a counterbalance to the power of the central government, right? And so that's that's why I support the right to, uh, own, you know, own private, you know, uh, firearms. And then and then the the whole thing of denigrating, you know, Jesus and the belief in religion and faith and all that stuff. That that's a counterbalance to the state as well, because the state tries to uh, eliminate community faith, uh, capitalism. It, it tries to eliminate everything and get everybody dependent on its own welfare, right? Yeah. And you can call that welfare, social security or disability or crazy money or whatever you want. There's various, you know, there's all these different variations of welfare. But the idea is if the state can get you dependent on itself and it's, and it's direct check, you know, from the government, then it's crippled. And it's also crippled community faith and everything in between. Once you're dependent on the state, then all you care about is the state. And so they've got you, and and so that's the um, the dependency trap that the central government uses is if they can get you dependent on their payment, then um, they own you. You'll do whatever the state says or wants uh, because you want to you know conserve your payment from the state, right? And so um, that's a long-winded way of saying that the the working class in its uh, uh, value on, on faith and community is, is actually like a, a mechanism of a counterbalance for like the central state, which, which wants to dominate people either by, um, threatening them, you know, with, uh, 
uh, imprisonment or, or, uh, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to bust you for not paying taxes or whatever. Any, any form of extortion. Right. Right. Or, and so, um, so the guns and Jesus thing that, that, uh, president Obama basically mocked, although he was very careful not to mock it directly, but he mocked it, uh, indirectly, which is very you know, which is the way the establishment works, right? If if you you don't want to attack it directly and offend people, so you attack it you know, through a second order mechanism. Uh, but he was really attacking the middle, the uh, the working class, and so um, those of us who 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 are experienced from that and and grew up in that, then it's like uh, it's like we we kind of start wondering, well, why are you attacking, you know, faith? and guns and self-employment and it the answer is well because if we're not dependent on the state then they don't control us yeah 100 percent. and uh and it's it's interesting too because you know china i mean one of the first things they did was didn't they outlaw religion like when yeah. they became yeah. communist and right and and you know i'm not and private property yeah and private property like i'm not particularly religious at all um i think i i still tend to have values that would probably still lend to my history of christianity um but i you know i don't go to church i don't i don't necessarily i have my own beliefs but i don't i don't really know but i i know you know i i try to live my life a certain way and a lot of times it's it's in line with it just anybody that shares my values right and, uh, but I, you know, I, I don't have guns. I, I thought about because of my, my relationship with Aaron YR, I thought about getting a gun and just learning how to use it, but I've never had a gun because if I was going to defend myself, I wouldn't know how to use it. Like I, I can go shoot at a target and hit a target, but man, a, a target that has circles is a lot different than, than a human trying to hurt you or an animal trying to hurt you. So I think, uh, for me, it doesn't make a lot of sense at this point, but I think that you know, the basic freedoms that um, people that kind of founded this country, I feel like, are are, are important. And I think that, uh, that just people's right to defend themselves. Like, I don't think the people that are illegal gun owners aren't the ones that are, are, are going and doing school shootings or aren't the ones that are, uh, you know, in... It, are, are murdering other people via drug disputes or black market industry disputes. So it, it gets, it gets, it gets, uh, it gets annoying pretty quick. And it's, it's funny too, because it's like, why are, it's like the, the liberal elites got so arrogant that they forgot who actually was the ones who got, get them elected. And that was unions and minorities and, and people in the inner cities or, you know, stuff like that. Like, yeah, it was traditionally, Republicans that, you know, people that are rural America or the working class in a lot of ways were traditionally Republicans, but man, you, you go to Toledo, Ohio, that's a, that's a union town. All those guys own guns, um, but they all were in unions. So they were like, you know, it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of my uncles still think Bill Clinton was like one of the greatest presidents ever. And they haven't connected the dots between NAFTA and the decline of like American factories. And there's other factors too. You, I, I don't think it's fair to just blame NAFTA, but I feel like that was a final na nail in the coffin. I mean, like, you know, I, I come from a very working class background. Both my grandpas were union presidents. One was, 
One was in a, a welding pipeline. My whole family kind of uh, were the ones that set up a retirement program and everything in, in the one welding, uh, the welding union, so the 798 union and uh, for, for pipelining and, and working with oil companies. My other grandpa was a union president in a, uh, for the railroad, for CSX. He retired from CSX, but in the meantime, he was also working at a shipyard. He, he had his own dump truck business for a while. And every, I mean, I just was spending time with him. And every time we drive around Toledo, he always tells me what he helped build. And he takes a lot of pride in it. Like he, he left the hills of Kentucky. I mean, Dwight Yoakam has this great song about, you know, Appalachians leaving Appalachia and going up to, you know, Toledo and Detroit and Dayton or, you know, any of these blue collar cities or manufacturing cities um, to get work and leave the hills because, you know, my grandpa had like, I think total, if all of his siblings would have lived, he had like 15 siblings. So, and the, most of them didn't even live. I mean, there were not most of them, but there was a few of them that didn't even live, like didn't survive birth. Um, so I think it's, you know, for me, it's it, like, I am very much so working class. I mean, I come from this union background and it, and it's interesting to see people like my dad say, yeah, I voted for Trump. Like, I mean, like I, I, I don't, I, it was interesting to see this election unfold and to see your choice is Hillary Clinton. And you think Hillary Clinton's going to pull the same vote Obama did. That's, that's interesting. Bernie Sanders was a clear choice to get that same, that same, uh, group of people and probably some old Ron Paul supporters too. Nope. You went with Hillary. That, that, I mean, it, it just was like what I still think. And we, and I talk about in part one, like, what did they expect? Like, how do you think a 70 year old woman is going to be with this young articulate, you know, African-American male? You know what I mean? Like, how is that this, why do you think that would resonate the same? Her message wasn't there. That's for sure. I mean, it's, it, it was just, it, I don't know, just, I don't know how I got on this topic too. I still want you to talk about bubble, bubble burstings. It must be this brown gas. <laughs> well, you know, uh, let's, let's talk about, uh, credit and so on. And that, um, you know, the, the great trading fairs of the 1500s that I mentioned as the, uh, sort of, uh, incubator of modern capitalism Credit was used more like we would use a debit card. In other words, you'd you'd uh, do some transactions and then you'd settle up, kind of like we do with a debit card at the end of the month. Like you didn't have a a balance due. It was just a matter of enabling transactions. And so, you know, a lot of millennials, uh, of which I think. You know, you're 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 a millennial. You're kind of in between the the I'm Gen a, X. Old, you know, I'm an old millennial. Yeah, but the millennials are very comfortable with, um, you know, paying for you know coffee and a and a donut with with a with a debit card, right? I mean, that's very common. Yeah, and 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 why fool around with cash? And so, um, I think that we need to differentiate between the kind of debt piles up and crushes you like student loans and uh, overpaying for housing, you know, and then you end up with like it's gigantic mortgage and, or gigantic property taxes, you know, like on the left and right coast. And um, the issue is property taxes. I mean, 
let me ask you this what would a property what would the the annual property tax bill be on a 50 or 60,000 dollar house in Columbus Ohio I don't know the answer but I know probably like 1200 bucks maybe 2000. depends on your suburb if you're in Columbus though not that much not compared to like Dublin or Upper Arlington or any of our like not where the you know the the uppity whites go to live no, I'm just teasing <laughs> well, even even in the upscale neighborhoods where people might pay, what would the upper what would be the upper value? Like one hundred seventy five thousand, two hundred thousand for uh, us? No, you can get some houses that are like a half a million. It depends on where you go. Um, if it's on the river or something, let's do property tax uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Just googling it right now. It is a rate of. Okay, so the average property tax here in Ohio is 1.52%. It ranks 12th and the highest in the U.S. And the reason why is because all of our schools get funded through there. Right. Um, but so I got a nice little smart assessed Ohio overview of taxes. So a home valued of $250,000 on average in Ohio um, would be $5,073 dollars $5, $5, a year. Well, that's pretty high nationally. And that's, that's for a 30-year fixed mortgage. Um, right, that's that's a chunk. But again, it's because of our schools. And, and actually, right. man, this is interesting too, Charles. So <laughs> Ohio is like great for a lot of reasons, but then it's stupid for other reasons. Like, I, I, I mean, it's it's a funny, I like it here. But there, every state has its little courts, right? But we voted it unconstitutional. The Ohio State Supreme Court voted it unconstitutional the way that we did schools and property taxes, I think, in the early 90s. And nobody has ever created a uh, – like, it's it's voted unconstitutional, and it's unco- we know it's unconstitutional by our state's constitution. But uh, nobody's fixed it. Um, so it's just funny. So anyways – I just want to put yeah. that out there. No, it's um I, I think my uh my uh kind of train of thought was to pursue the idea that um debt um is is a is a crusher, right? Mm-hmm. And so um if you owe the, the government back taxes or or a, a very heavy property tax and and here in California, like it's not uncommon to have like I myself pay like thirteen thousand a year, and you go, are you kidding me? But some of my friends pay like third, you know, sixteen thousand, and you go, are you kidding me? Like almost fifteen hundred a month just, and, and if you fail to pay that, then your property is auctioned off. Uh, in other words, if you own that property free and clear, you're still owing fifteen hundred a month in property tax. Yeah, I mean. Uh, that's, that's, that's a crusher, right? I mean, how many people can afford that? Uh, that's like a minimum wage job and all you've done is pay your property tax. <laughs> yeah. And actually, and the, so, and just yeah. to start to interrupt, but what I actually read yeah. was actually Franklin County, Ohio, the average is 1.553. It's still higher than the national average, but it's quite a bit less than Columbus. Right. But I think, I think the, I, um, Kind of like what the uh, the train of thought I'm having is, if you can buy a house in Columbus for fifty grand or seventy five grand, and you're paying 
you know, uh, 1.5%. And that would be like, I don't know, 1200 bucks or something, a hundred dollars a month. That's fairly affordable in the U S right. Absolutely. And so, uh, and if you're paying 10 times that amount to live on the left or right coast, then, then it becomes a thing where your house instantly becomes unaffordable if you lose your job or your spouse loses, you know, his or her job. And so I think the point um, I'm trying to make, which is very roundabout, which is credit plays a, uh, an important part in, in core capitalism because it, it allows you to um, – buy and sell um, without having to have the cash on hand. But but that uh, process implies like a settling up of every month or, or, or there at some time period, in which case you, you're free and clear of any um, debt overhang. Whereas what we have uh, become here in the, in the US, and I think this is actually quite, quite true for much of the developed world, is we've become dependent on permanent debt. Like you've got this student loan overhang of 50 grand or 75 grand or 100 grand. And then you've got a mortgage of 100 grand or 200, 300 grand or whatever. And then you've got an auto loan and, and then you're um, basically enslaved because, you know, you, you have to come up with that money every month, um, rain or shine, whether you have a medical emergency or you're laid off or whatever. And then you're vulnerable to um, an economic collapse of your household because if you are unable to make that payment, then you quickly go into default and then you lose um, everything you've, you owe money on. And so that's where you were talking about the Christian value of um, debt is bad is um, – Credit is okay, but only if you settle it up, kind of like an American Express card, right? Yeah. There is no – yeah. And uh, credit has its function, especially if you're in business where you you know, you know, might have um, payables, receivables that are not really aligned, right? Like if those of us who are in business, we often have payables that are due in 30 days. But oh, guess what? The people that owe us have like receivable, you know, they have like 60 to 90 days to pay us. And so we need, we need credit to kind of tide us over until we, we get those, you know, receivables until the people that owe us money pay us. And that's okay. That's a, that's a core function of capitalism. But when, when you depend on borrowing more and more and more to support your lifestyle, then, um, that's a form of slavery. Yeah. Um, I think my, uh, my good friend Charles Hugh Smith always calls it financial heroin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, financial heroin plus like um, debt serfdom. Yeah. I mean, student loan system is debt serfdom. I mean, it's how many kids. I mean, here's the weird thing. And uh, it was funny because um, my brother's friend, Bill, who uh, he's 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 seven years older than me, and he goes, "How come you never post about your feelings about you know skilled trade?" And uh, I'm like, "Dude, I, I talk about it all the time on the podcast." And he's like, "I don't know what a podcast is, but anyways, um, I just thought that was funny." Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it again. We've talked about it a ton. Is you know, when I was growing up, and my grandpa said. Because when he started, let's see, he's 83. He's going to be 84. But when he, he started on the railroad when he was like 18, 
and he, he you know, he took a he took a train up to Toledo, Ohio, because he knew there was work. That, he heard there was work there, and he wanted to get out of his holler because it was it just wasn't good. I mean, it was everyone was poor. Um, like he said it best, we weren't really affected by the depression. Everybody already didn't have money, and you know, he said when he was at the railroad, there were people with. He was telling me this growing up, and I didn't really understand him until I got older. But he was saying, you know, when I was on the railroad, buddy. There was people with college degrees that would work the same job I did, and they'd get paid the same amount of money, and it's going to happen again. And sure enough, I'm told uh, my mom criticized him because uh, he would put money in accounts for us just to have, and it wasn't money for college, and she thought he should he should put money, and we shouldn't have access to it till after college and all this stuff. And they had these they had these disputes because my mom. Her goal was for all of us to to go to college, and, and all she wanted all of her kids to get college degrees because it's like this great uh, it's this great thing to for your kids to go off and get college degrees. She was the first. I mean, my mom was the first in her family to get a college degree, and um, but you know, fast forward to today, everybody like when I was when I was in high school or growing up, it seemed like you were a loser, the school that I went to, if you weren't going to go to college. When in reality, all the opportunity was in apprenticeships and skilled labor. I mean, there was that, uh, that stupid fake video about the, the mil- the guy who's well-spoken and he's an African-American gentleman. And he's talking about why minimum wage needs to increase because he likes working at KFC and he should get paid more for what he does and all this bullshit. And one of my buddies, who's also a, who's who I know is in fact a Marine veteran, he said, "This guy is so full of shit." He's like, if he knew all this, all the things that you could get to to go to trade school, you can get paid extra money versus like you get money on top of being an apprentice from the military to go and learn this trade, and and it's all the opportunity is is being in trades. Like, yeah, you can through the GI Bill. And get paid to go to college too, but where are you going to make money? I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's just so much opportunity in skilled trade. I mean, just even from what my dad tells me about, you know, I mean, why, why do we want dumb people to be farmers? Why do we want dumb people to be the ones that build our homes? Because that's what I was growing up to say. You only do that stuff if you're dumb. If you're a, if you're a, a tradesman, it's because you're dumb and you couldn't go to college. And it's just so silly. Like, I, I why that message was started. Um, well, I, I have my own conspiracies as to why that was started, but my own thoughts on it. But I mean, it, it's just not true. Like, you don't want you don't want dumb people building your infrastructure. You don't want dumb people growing your food. You don't want dumb people putting the plumbing in your house. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like it's counterintuitive, right? And um, I. Just to kind of add to your uh, uh, thread there <laughs> is that, um, you know, in my book, Get a Job, Defy a Bewildering Economy, I, I describe um, the difference between having a specialty and having um, a generalized, uh, broader field of knowledge. And so um, sp- specialties are prone to being automated, right? Because if you can create a series of steps like one, two, three, four, five, six, and then you've completed the, the, uh, 
the action, then that can be automated. And so what actually we're, we're transitioning slowly and, and, and in fits and starts from an economy that valued specialization only to generalization. And so what really has value is cross-fertilized skills. In other words, uh, and just to use you as an example, if I may. Absolutely. You you know what it takes to grow um, like uh, vegetables in, a, in sort of a micro production scale, right? And then you also know where the market is for those vegetables, which is like restaurants and cafes and so on, who have a who can charge a premium for local, uh, locally produced uh, produce, right? And so, which is high quality in which you know the inputs and and um, and people can trust it, right? Unlike stuff, you know, the vegetables grown in China or something or, or products grown in China, like who knows where, what the water contains, cadmium in, in <laughs> high volume. Chinese yeah, organic say, produce means. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and what does it mean in Mexico? Yeah. Who knows? And so um, you you kind of cut to the chase by having it locally grown in America. So um, my my point is is that I think we're entering a sea change, you know, a systemic revolution where the value added is having a variety of cross fertilized skills. And so, like say for instance, in in like Joe Green's business of producing um, metal parts then you might have a robot that can produce uh, a bunch of parts that are identical, but you need to be able to program that robot to do that. And so you need like uh, several levels of skills, right? You need the skill to program the robot to produce like a thousand parts that are identical. Then you need to be able to do the handwork to polish those parts maybe a bit. Maybe it's like literally 30 seconds per part. But you still need to be able to um, knock off the burrs or whatever is necessary or maybe put them through a stamping machine or whatever is necessary to finish the product. But um, there's a combination of being able to work with automation and robotics and software and the Internet, right? All those, all those skills plus being able to do something in, in, in like the real world, like you know, actually produce and, and put it in the box and ship it somewhere. And so this um, suite of, of uh, skills is, is what's going to become more valuable in the future. And I think that you're a fine example of that because if we talk about growing food, that's the core value of human life, right? I mean, you can't eat a tablet made in China. You know? <laughs> and and, and I, I say that because, you know, there's a famous example of somebody spouting off in some like Apple, you know um, – you know, PR, you know, uh, pr you know, press conference or something like, cause we can't eat, you know, iPods. No, we can't. And, and, <laughs> no. And so this is where, you know, the middle America has the water, which, um, you know, here in California, we're, we're finally getting a good rain year. I mean, it just hailed today. Uh, which is kind of unusual. But they, uh, don't, they don't have any rain capture systems. And they're, well, which, which is funny. Yeah. Well, we do have these huge reservoirs like Lake Shasta and stuff, and those are actually filling up again for That's the first good. time in like four or five years. But we don't have the Mississippi River, yeah. you know, or the Missouri River. Or the Ohio and, River. 
Right, or the Ohio River. And and we don't get like 50 to 60 inches a year uh, like the Midwest. And so, you know, you can grow like um, incredible amounts of of food in the Midwest. And right now, if you go through like Iowa, for example, um, or lower Minnesota, all you see is fields of soybeans and corn, right? And it's all like, is this all we can grow here? No. You know, it's like, um, it's like hog food or stuff that we can ship to Asia. Now that's okay. It's good to, 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 if you can reap a huge profit, then by all means grow soybeans and ship it to China and Japan. But you know, what about, what do we need here? And so, um, and, and if you, as I understand it, if you talk to farmers, it's like, well, we would grow other stuff if there was a demand for it. Well, and there so is a this demand. Is, they're just, they're just wealth. I mean, they don't get, you, there's no government subsidies for growing lettuce, tomatoes yeah, yeah, or anything. That's that. right. They're, I, I, they're, the, they're the biggest welfare customers. Yeah. Right. And so if we eliminated the subsidies, what would we get? And so where you and your um, tacit tribe in, in, you know, in Ohio are doing is you're filling a market need that isn't subsidized. And this is, again, going back to the root of capitalism, which is markets, you know, where you fill scarcity and customer need and, and, and that's how you make a profit, which then you can then reinvest. And, and this is how you create wealth. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, Charles, we've been talking for our Skype. Our Skype says two hours and 30 minutes, but we have two hours of podcast here. So we've been talking quite a bit. I think that's a great way to end the show. What about you, bud? Yeah, I think so. I'm sure you have to eat dinner. I don't know if you ate before. You might have eaten before, but. No, no, actually, I've got to go. I've got to go <laughs> buy some, some catfish. <laughs> <laughs> well, closing out, I'm going to, as I always do, and actually uh, quite a few people from the last time downloaded their free copies of the Audible books that I posted, Charles. So if you like, I can uh, post those again, um, the free credit to Audible. So if you don't have an Audible account, they can choose either book that you have on there and get it, start a, an account and get it for free. Do you want me to put that up there once again? Absolutely. For I'm, I'm all for free stuff and, <laughs> um, and, and my books included. And of course, my blog is all free too. So um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a huge amount of stuff. I think it's, Last time I checked, there's like 3,400 blog posts and guest essays and all this stuff um, on the blog. Excellent so, content. Um, and also, too, if people want to, they can also subscribe. You don't promote it um, at all. But they get musings, too, I think, if they, they get on like kind of a Patreon-esque uh, style, if they want to set up monthly donations with your site as well. So you don't yeah. need to plug it, but I know that's how it works. So I'm plugging it. Yeah. Five bucks a month. That's that. Then you get then you get my special insights. Blah blah blah. And um, I don't know. I, I need to add you to that list, actually, if I haven't already. <laughs> yeah, I I wouldn't mind it. I, I'd appreciate it. Uh, I eventually we talked about it before. Now that I have time, I should try to figure out a way to just post like once a month. Post a uh, insight from Charles on the sample hour and create like a separate Charles Hugh Smith uh, two beers blog. If you're down with that, and I can edit that out, but we, we absolutely, yeah, we we talked about that before, but now I actually have time to like, oh yeah, that's what I want to do with my website. So, so yeah, guys. So if you haven't already, go to off2minds.com. If you have Outlook, 
Um, when I when I still had a job, what I used to do, I had my daily blog posts, blogs that I'd read. Uh, one was Charles Hugh Smith. The other one was Scott Adams' blog, and I also had Zero Hedge on there. But if you go, there's like an RSS part, and it and it and it, you can actually just look, read everything straight from Outlook. If not, go to ofTwoMinds.com. Um, you can go from your computer. Or Charles has actually made it so there's a nice mobile version for you. Um, and you guys can actually read it straight from your smartphones. Another great option is Feedly as well. I like that app as well. So I'll, I'll still read Charles's blogs on there. Um, so definitely do that. Uh, there's books. There's going to be in both this episode and the last episode. There's actually, if as you guys have listened, there's really no, um, it just kind of cuts off and it dies. And then you go into part two. So it's the surprise, surprise. There's a part two, and um, so either either in the show notes of either, you'll see a link if you guys want to listen to any of Charles's books. I highly recommend it. If you don't have an Audible account, you can. They always give you a free credit, but you can just start an account and you can either choose get a real job, build a real com- a real career, defy a bewildering economy, or Charles's other book, which um, it is the. I always fuck up your titles, man. It is the uh, uh, well, like a radically beneficial yeah. world is good, or <laughs> radically the, beneficial the, world, correct? The nearly free university, yeah, or, or you know, inequality. My book on on um, uh, on inequality, and yeah, you're absolutely right. If you if you on the left uh, column of my site, you can see an RSS feed. There's no ads there, and I and I specifically put only. Um, one ad on my mobile site so once you scroll down past that then you're good to go <laughs> it's pretty crazy a guy that that makes income from his blog is telling you how you can read it without ads and he gets paid to do the ads that's the type of guy he is charles once again thank you so much for coming it was a long time but i appreciate the time you gave me this evening and i'm sure all the listeners do as well and guys thanks for tuning in once again and hopefully we'll do this again in a month if not, though, don't be surprised. We're busy, guys. <laughs> right, Absolutely. Sir? All Th- right. Thanks guys. very much, Drew. Oh, you're very welcome. And, guys, thanks for tuning in.